Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alvstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead, and I'm here with Keith Myers. Keith, how you doing? I'm making it through. Um... This is day, what, 74 of the uh, quarantine, and yet here we are. Um, no, uh, oh, if it feel, it's only like week two, but it feels like week 17. Um, the good news is we've always recorded from home, so this is no different for us. So this particular hour right now feels feels right. Feels absolutely it, normal. It's good to be be here talking football, obviously, um, and and I think we're going to end up going to like a, a twice a week thing. So we're going to record on Mondays and Thursdays for the foreseeable future, just so a we take care of ourselves, like Keith and I, like we need something to do <laughs> and preoccupy ourselves with something that's uh, fun and interesting and something that we enjoy. So that's good therapy for us. And hopefully everyone else enjoys the conversation and uh, gets a little break, you know, a couple times a week. So just want to help do that. Um, this week, we're just talking about uh, where we're at um, as far as free agency. Uh, we had a trade. We're going to go over, um, you know, what we added, what what's kind of departed. We're going to talk about the players uh, in particular a little bit. And we're going to talk about a couple of the um, position groups on the Seahawks and either how, how good we feel about it or uh, where we're at as far as concern level. And I had, you know, I didn't talk about this right before we got on, but I have a little bit of uh, NFC West stuff too. I know that we talked about maybe adding that to the the mix a little bit in some of these shows. So uh, I thought I'd get that started this week and maybe you can just offer some thoughts on what I brought. Um, free agency though, Keith, uh, let's just, just give me just kind of a quick overview in your mind about how you think the Seahawks are positioned so far. Um, I think that they are, you know, they're getting where they need to be. I mean, they've added depth uh, everywhere except for the defensive line um, and maybe linebacker. So well, they still have work to do, and it's but it's and it's in those spots. It's it's in the defensive front where we knew they absolutely needed to add uh, coming in to the off season, and they they've added everywhere else except for there. I know it's kind of weird. It's I mean, I'll just be honest, it's kind of it's kind of weird to me knowing too that the draft isn't particularly strong on the defensive line, especially at, you know, at at the speed positions on the defensive line, the edge and the three tech and so forth. When you get past that first couple rounds, you know, it's it's, you know, marginal. And if they wanted an impact player this year, they definitely I thought that they would address it in free agency. Um, at least that's what my thinking was before all of this started. And I think you were kind of in the same boat. You're like, yeah, they need to go spend some money. They got, they have a lot of money. They can go spend some money on the defensive line, solve that problem before the draft. That way the draft can kind of come to them. How do you think the team overall, why do you think that they've gone the direction that they've gone? Is it just because of Clowney and the way that Clowney's kind of hasn't been able to make a decision and, um, they're still just being patient and waiting that out. Or was this going to be the approach no matter what? 
Uh, I think part of it has to do with Clowney. I think they they wanted that done um, earlier so they could, you know, make moves with that in mind. Um, but I think part of it is also they were just looking at the quality of player versus the contract uh, for a lot of these players, and they weren't really excited about uh, Robert Quinn at $14 million a year. Um, and... Or Fowler at 15, et cetera. Yeah, and, and looking at, um, you know, some of these guys, and they're like, mm, you know what, we might be better off waiting and going and getting a couple of young players and uh, addressing other positions so that the everything but the defensive line is is in really good shape and then going and getting younger players and getting younger on the line and trying to get more athletic and, and do it that way rather than spend a ton of money on aging guys that, you know, may or uh, may not hold up as far as injury. So um, I, I think it wasn't. And the off season is only really just beginning. I mean, this is the first part of it. There's still the the draft. Mm-hmm. There's still camp casualty cuts. There's still trades available. Um, so, you know, as patient as uh, John Schneider is, and he's amazingly patient, I'll have to give him credit. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the fan base isn't quite so patient. So when we're all wrapped up and talking about all this stuff and so forth, it's really difficult to see that the plan, you know, the whiteboard that that's at uh, headquarters and what they've got, um, you know, Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, etc. Plus, they've got two, three-year type windows that they're looking at, and they're all trying to fit it together as like a puzzle. And we're only seeing just a little bit of that. Yeah, and you know, I'm looking at the list of available players still. Um, you've, it's not a, a a huge long list outside of of Clowney, um, but Everson Griffin is still out there. Derek Wolf, maybe if if you feel like he can. Uh, stay healthy is out there. Um, you know, there's some other guys. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you wait, you wait, you wait, and then maybe you get a bunch of guys on at a discount because it's the end when everyone else is running out of money and you can get uh, more guys, more guys that can come in and help. Uh, and Well, the Seahawks are out of money though right now. I mean, not really. let's, let's talk about, well, let's talk about it. So currently, I'm just saying currently, Currently, we you know it's been reported we've got somewhere between say three and eight million dollars. I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe you've got a better idea exactly where they sit. Does that well, sound about right? Just in in rough terms, just uh, rough. rough terms. I have them about five and a half um, of real cap space. That's not. I mean, you take out the part that they have to leave for uh, draft picks and you know that kind of right. stuff. Uh, rookie right. pool, um, but it, so they have about five million. It's right in there. Um, so let's talk about what they can do to, to create more if they need to, and they would need to if they get Clowney and maybe they wanted to add another piece. Say Griffin. Well, say Griffin was available for eight, and we got Clowney on that kind of reported thirteen point five million two dollar uh, two year deal. How what would we need to do to fit those guys under the cap? Um, well, the first thing you do is cut Ed Dixon. I mean, that's just a pure. Uh, three and a half million dollar. Um, that that you have. I mean, he's not. He will not be on the the roster. There right now. It's a matter of they don't need the cap space, so they're keeping him on the roster entirely because it gives him access to uh, 
things that will help him rehab, and it's just doing the right thing for a guy. Um, as soon as they need the cap space, he'll be gone. Um, and you could also cut Justin Britt at, which saves you eight and a half million. Um, and they've already got his replacement in um, uh, Finney that they've signed this off season. Um, you could go and. Uh, we keep bringing this up and everyone I think is basically agreed that we're the only ones talking about it right now, but uh, they could move on from KJ, right? Um, now that they've got Irvin for one side and, and Barton for the other and save an additional, uh, what is it? 11 million or no, that was, yeah, uh, it was nine about and eight, half or but, yeah, it's about eight, like eight and a half to $9 million. I think it's 8.75. Um, I'm doing this for memory. Uh, so, so that uh, would generate about $20 million right there. Just that. Just that. And so they could do that. Personally, I, at this point, I, I would see them maybe go try and be like, okay, uh, KJ, let's, let's rework this deal. Let's get your number down from eight and a half and maybe get his cap number down to like four. Um, and so maybe not generate 20 million, but generate 16, which would be enough to get both those deals done. Well, maybe they want to keep KJ and maybe they don't renegotiate, but they have a little bit of room maybe on the Russell Wilson side of the equation, right? They could massage oh. that number a little bit. Anytime you've got big contracts like uh, like Russell Wilson, you can uh, massage those contracts a little bit. You could convert his salary for this year, like a, a chunk of it, from salary into signing bonus, and then which takes all of that cap room and moves it into later years except for whatever's left of his deal. So for him, it would be, um, if let's say they cut $4 million of it out and put, turn it into signing bonus, well, that pushes $3 million of his um, of that $4 million into future years, and it lowers his cap number by $3 million. And they could do that, you know, three times if they needed to, um, and, you know, generate $9 million that way. Now, it, that kicks the can down the road a little bit, and if you're doing that, you're expecting, Expecting there to be a significant um, uh, increase in the cap, but that with the new uh, with the new uh, CBA, that looks like we're going to get a significant increases in the cap. So um, doing stuff like that is actually fairly easy. So, so the 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 larger point being, <clears throat> the Seahawks really aren't that hamstrung. They are they're only on paper are they hamstrung, but they move around a whole bunch of stuff and pretty soon they can pretty much do still whatever they need to do to address this issue. Mm -hmm. um, would it shock you? Would it shock you if uh, Clowney doesn't sign by the draft or we don't uh, initiate some sort of trade conversation or Everson Griffin doesn't come in or whatever? Um, would, it, would it surprise you that that happens or do you think that they actually wait that long to solve this problem? I think that these things start to get figured out before the draft because the last thing that Clowney's camp wants to do is you've got these teams that are all interested. There's like three of them apparently with um, the Titans, the Seahawks, and one mystery team out there. Um, and of course, anytime you talk about mystery teams, that's coming from an agent, and so who knows if they're real or not. Um what happens if both the Titans and the Seahawks go spend their first round pick on a pass rusher? Um, 
now their their offers go down. They're like, you know what? We aren't as desperate. We don't need you as much. Well, you've already um, seen that happen in his market. Yeah, his his market has shrunk because other teams have gone out and got other guys. So I actually expect this to get done before the draft. We've reached a point where teams are about as most teams are done with in terms of free agency. The the deals that they're signing now are not ones that are going to affect the cap much. They're one year deals worth you know a million or two. It's not going to be a big thing. Um, and so I could actually see the uh, these guys like move around and, and and go. Okay, this is where we are. The market's not going to change anymore from here. So we can now go through and be like, okay, yeah, what are our options? I agree. Um, but at the same time, they know the market will change significantly as the draft approaches. Um, and so th- this is the time where, where Griffin and Clowney get their deals done. And so I would be very surprised if we go into the draft and Clowney has not signed either in Seattle or uh, in Tennessee. Do you expect Seattle to sign both of those players? I expect Seattle to sign one of those players. Do you expect Seattle to, uh, if it's Clowney, do you expect Seattle to sign a, another edge type defender uh, beyond Irvin? Or do they go into the season with a Irvin and Clowney as projected quote unquote starters at defensive end and add and expect them to add one or two pieces in the draft? And that's the way that they're going to fix this issue this year. No, I they'll 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 no matter who they sign, whether one of those two, they'll add someone else, but it's not gonna be a guy that you're gonna going to um automatically just expect to be a big time contributor. It's going to be someone who is going to be a rotational guy. Just they're, they're going to add bodies. Uh, and so you don't expect them to do a clowny deal and create enough cap space to go out and do a trade for like Judon or Yannick, um, or sign Griffin. You, you think they'll go budget route, maybe draft their their first pick, uh, 27 overall or trade back slightly and draft an edge guy. Yeah, actually, that is kind of what I expect them to do. Um, I I don't think that's ideal. I don't. That is not what I expected them to do going in. But they we've reached a point where they've signed enough guys and and they've done. I I don't see them adding two starters in free agency before the draft. I see them uh, signing one, whether it be Griffin or Clowney, and then drafting at least one, if not two, pass rushers. Uh, in this draft and basically solving the problem that way. Now, all of that changes if you get into a situation where the price for a guy like Judon or Yannick drops significantly. Right now, both teams are asking for a first. They're not going to get a first. Um, but if I've you- heard that uh, it's currently uh, shifted for Judon. Um, I can't remember who reported it, but one of the national guys reported that uh, – there's possible considerations of a second round pick at this point. Mm-hmm. Or what you, you might see is that it's a situation where uh, Seattle gives up their first round pick for Judon, but gets a second round pick back. So it's basically just they move down um, a few slots in order to to get uh, a player the like rights. that. So, the yeah, rights so, to sign him to a longer term deal, basically. Yeah. and um, But of course, that wouldn't be done until the... Uh, basically there would be a deal in place 
already. Like this CX would be given permission to talk to his agent. Them and the agent would have come up with here is, um, you know, here's the framework for a deal. So it's done. Okay. Now we can make the trade. Let's get that done. Let's get this signed. And then we move on. Um, and that, that's that's the situation. This isn't going to be one where you're, you're trading for a player without a contract. They've been franchise tagged, so they're stuck, but they don't have a contract. You're not trading for the rights to negotiate and then have a holdout. Uh, you will not uh, you will not execute the trade unless there is a contract in place ready to go. So let's talk about uh, what we've already done. Um, let's talk about departures first. Um, overall. Uh, George Fant left to the Jets three years, thirty million. That was Quentin, that's it. That right there. I'm sorry. I'm just. You know, I know you're going to go down the list, but I'm like, uh, he got three years, thirty million, and uh, and Jermaine Effetti just signed with a, the Bears for one on a one year deal. Talk one about year deal for like that, three million. Yeah, that's so. That is exactly uh, what. You and I, I mean, you you said that Fant would get the money. I thought he would get a shorter term deal. Yeah, uh, basically prove it. They're like, we know you have the potential. We we like your tape, but you've you haven't really played much. So come in, prove that you can do it on one year, and then we'll sign you to it to a um, a larger deal. Um, but we everyone like when people we talk to and and um, you know the Twitterverse whatever was saying. A Fetty's going to get like four years, $44 a twelve million, million dollar deal. Yeah, yeah so, something with these yeah. big numbers, and I'm like, no, I'm like, no. The, the NFL's yeah. the neither NFL's one like, of us saw that. The NFL's dumb, uh, or not dumb. The NFL's dumb. No, the NFL's not dumb. They're going to watch this tape. They're going to go, God, this guy's terrible. He's not worth anything over four, um, even with all of his experience. And yes, he uh, doesn't get hurt, and he, you know, he plays through everything and all of that. Um, there he's not going to be given that contract. He has never shown the ability to be worth that kind of money. Well, that's why I said, you know, Jermaine Effetti would still be hanging out there like a couple weeks into this deal. He didn't quite last that long, but damn near. But he got the, he would probably get a one year deal. Now I thought even, even the, the deal that he is probably getting, you, you mentioned three, I haven't seen the terms yet. Um, the, uh, I thought that he would get like a, a four to six million dollar deal one year thing from somebody. Somebody would do that. Now, if it's three, like you said, or three and a half, that's even worse than the worst case scenario that we thought that he would end up in. Yeah, um, and so it really comes down to. But they're going to move him to guard. Did you see that? I did. That, because... That's your idea too. Well, that's what I've been saying from day one. The guy is not a tackle. He's never been a tackle. He's never going to become a tackle. He is a guard. So go. Put him at guard. Go and put him at guard. Go pay him like a guard. Go see mm-hmm. if he can be successful. I'm rooting for uh, Jermaine Effetti. I'd love to see him be successful as a person. And I think as a player, like you said, he's suited to be a guard. If he goes the, into the Bears on a one-year deal, proves it, he can play guard. His penalties go down. He ends up being like a, a league average guard. Go make a little bit of money on your next contract. I, I I'm for that. Actually, all this whole situation is great for Fetty. He goes into a situation where they don't have like established guys that he. So he's he's going to be um, able to get playing time. He he goes in. They're going to move him to guard, which is where he's natural. He's going to come out next year, I think, and really show and be a good player because they put him in. He doesn't have to worry about jumping early too. 
yeah, inside. Yeah, because the spe- all of his false starts, I mean, so a lot of it's mental, but some of it is that he knows he's not fast enough to get to the corner. He's to get to the edge. He has to cheat in order to try and get there against speed rushers. He's got that mentality and he can at guard, like relax just a little bit uh, at the start and not be so like high. He can play within himself. Yeah. And that's what every player wants to be able to do. Yeah. I I think it's a much better fit. Now, I don't know. Why didn't Seattle try to do that? Why? Why were they so stubborn? Why didn't they try to move him inside? Be- so here's the deal. is It comes down to two years ago when he lost his starting job to Jamarco Jones in the preseason and training camp. Uh, at that moment, he was going to become a guard. And then Jamarco Jones has I, that, massive, re- recall that massive ankle injury and gets put on IR. And they go back to Effetti because he was was left on the roster. And at that moment, basically, they got stuck. And I, that is the point where they just, they just got stuck. And um, I think that if they'd had another plan, if they'd had a, a, you know, a backup plan, but you don't usually have multiple backup plans at tackle. Um, you have one. And and so if Jones hadn't gotten hurt and Afedi had lost his job, which he had, I mean, he had, he had essentially been benched and moved to the second team, they would have moved him to guard. He would have came in the next year um, with an ability to start at guard. And I think at this point, they, he would have been a guard in Seattle and he would have been good. And they might have re-signed him at this point um, as a guard. But he stuck at tackle because of that injury. And then it just never worked out. Just never a good fit. So at this point, I'm just happy that he's not re-signed at right tackle for the Seahawks, and he's got a better opportunity with the Bears. That's fine. Go go get it, uh, yep. Jermaine. Okay. So other uh, key departures: Quentin Jefferson with the Bills, two years, thirteen million. That's a great deal for Quentin Jefferson. That's a and tremendous not, not a, deal. Not a bad deal for the Bear or for the Bills. I think in their defense with their defensive end talent. Uh, Quentin Jefferson could have a pretty decent year there. Uh, Al Woods uh, just signed a couple days ago with Jacksonville. I kind of, I wanted Al Woods back to be completely honest, given the state of our current defensive line, Uh, $2.75 million deal. Wasn't going to break the bank. Mm -hmm. That's a good deal for Jacksonville. Good deal for Woods. Okay. Um, And then uh, what we got, let's talk about the trade first, since we've been kind of mired in all this, uh, all this other stuff. uh, The first part of the show, uh, the Seahawks the other day, a couple days ago, acquired Quinton Dunbar, age 27, for a 2025th round pick. What? Um, that's Highway crazy. It's the, it's the same pick the Seahawks received from Pittsburgh in the Nick Vanette trade. So we essentially traded Quinton Dunbar, which is one of the best, uh, possibly one of the best uh, defensive backs in the league, certainly Washington's best corner for Nick Vanette, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, in in uh, 2019, um, he allowed 29 catches on 52 targets for 344 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions, and an opponent passer rating of 56.9. Also, in an interview today with ESPN 710, uh, said he was familiar with and worked on the kick-step kick technique that Seattle uses, including working with Marquand Manuel former Seahawk safety, Seattle assistant coach, and now current Eagles defensive backs coach, Quentin Dunbar, Keith. This Okay, so we're talking about a guy who 
Um, if you look at like, if you, you know, if you buy into things like pro football focus and their grades and all of that was the second best cornerback in the league last year. Um, now granted he did that against some pretty mediocre quarterback play. Just that's what happens when you play in that division. But, um, yeah, but the second pro second leading pro football focus grade behind Richard Sherman. Yeah. 87.6 overall. Yeah. So, um, we're, we're talking about a player. Now, this is a guy who was, um, you know, not thought of as a, you know, a, a good prospect out of the draft. He wasn't even thought of as a cornerback yet. Yeah. And um, uh, give Washington credit for finding the athlete, getting him into a position where he can be successful and giving him the coaching that he needs and credit Dunbar for listening and doing what's necessary to become a great player. Um, and if you watch any tape on him from last year, uh, he is a great player. This is the, kind of the equivalent of the Seahawks getting uh, a converted wide receiver in the fifth round who everyone <laughs> said was too tall and too slow um, and turning him into the best cornerback in the league. Uh, that's, of course, I'm describing Richard Sherman. This is a similar type of situation. Um, I don't think he's, I mean, he's not quite at that level. Uh, Richard Sherman's a Hall of Famer. Um, but but the similarities are crazy. I mean, but undrafted yeah. uh, in 2015 as a wide receiver, mm-hmm. come into you know training camp, converted immediately, went on their practice squad for a while, in and off the roster, started some games, was a backup in some games, but really flashed. I mean, had a lot of interceptions before he became a starter, made some big plays, and then he got his chance. Uh, talk to me a little bit, though, about the injury situation with Quentin Dunbar. That's really the only little flag out there. But he is playing on a $4.5 million contract for this season. After that, he's, he'd be a free agent. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as concerned about it. I know that, like, uh, it has been a thing where he's had a few, um, you know, injuries. He's missed some time. But it's one of those things where he's being brought in to be corner cornerback two, right? They've got Griffin on one side and they've already got his backup lined up because that's Trey Flowers, right? So you've got the worst case scenario is when, if Dunbar, you know, rolls an ankle and, and is out for a game or two, you go back to being as good as you were last year um, at the height of, you know, all of that. Uh, like that, that's, that's the bad end. Uh, the good end is that it's a massive upgrade and you have probably the best cornerback tandem between Griffin and Dunbar, especially the young quarterback tandem uh, in the NFL. So I'm, I know that there is like some injury concerns. I'm just, it just doesn't, it doesn't like, well, uh, he made, he missed, he played seven games in 2018. He played 11 games in 2019. That's a lot of missed ball. I mean, it is what it is. And hopefully he can kind of rectify that here in Seattle. It won't be a concern, but he does have some hamstring and, um, nerve issues in that hamstring as well. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I think for the value um, and for what he's coming in to do, I think it's a really good deal for the Seahawks. Um, and it could position um, the Seahawks to be an, an interesting situation next year with two of their starting cornerbacks uh, entering free agency in the same year. What are your thoughts around that? Uh, I think that Griffin gets a deal here. Uh, at some point this season, if not the before, like probably before training camp, um, you know, in the in the week or two before training camp opens, if training camp ever opens, um, 
thank you, coronavirus, for that little thought process right there. But um, at some point, I do expect him to get a deal done. And it will be in a situation where they won't go into the season with both their starting cornerbacks gonna, who are going to be a free agent because I expect Griffin to be resigned. And uh, then they go into the year and they go, okay, well, you know, we're going to have uh, Dunbar play this out. It was a fifth round pick. And so it's not like, you know, they they've gave up a lot for a one year rental and then they'll see what happens. They either will, um, he'll either play really well and go sign a big contract elsewhere and they'll get a third round pick uh, back in compensation. So by waiting a year uh, or actually it's two, but uh, they get, they actually get back more than they uh, gave up and they got him for a year or he plays, you know, he has an injury problem and sits out and they go, okay, well let's, they'll get him back on a, on a more moderate deal. And then they'll have a player that's, good and maybe injury prone, but affordable. Um, either way, none of those things are bad if you're Seattle. Yeah. No, I know. This is the great way to address this position uh, in the offseason. Now, we had talked about the need for possibly upgrading the, the Flowers situation. It wasn't absolutely completely critical. I mean, Flowers, we were hoping would take a step up this year mm-hmm. and maybe uh, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't a huge thing, but we thought they would bring in competition, et cetera, possibly look in the draft to add, you know, a, a third, fourth corner. Um, this makes it uh, <clears throat> it really upgrades that spot. Now, uh, do you leave Flowers on the sideline the you know the the whole year if these guys are playing all the snaps, or do you figure out a way to get your three best corners on the field at the same time? I think you find a way to get your three best corners on the field at the same time. I mean, you're looking at a guy like Griffin is your cornerback one, but he is, he's good enough uh, to play on the outside where you've got the boundary to help. Um, And he's good enough to play on the inside where, you know, I mean, slot corner is a hard position to play. And I could see them moving uh, Griffin in and in the nickel and letting flowers come in and be that third cornerback, but leave him on the outside where he's got a boundary to help him out. Um, and, so third and long situations, you could see flowers come in. Yeah, and, and do it that I way. Do I do mean, too. That, that's a, a a situation where we could definitely uh, get flowers back on the field and have all three of them on there. Um, and I wouldn't mind seeing that. I mean, you want to get flowers more playing time. You want to give him a chance because he's in that critical third year. We also have to remember that he, what changed positions coming in to the league, he played really well as a rookie. His year two was pretty bad. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was not good. Um, but he needs um, an opportunity to continue to grow. And if you're sitting on the sidelines and not playing at all, you've taken that opportunity away uh, from him. So I want to see him actually get playing time. It would be nice if he got playing time without being the starter and being out there every snap. Um, because I want... The, you know, the best talent out there as possible and getting him, you know, 20, 25 snaps a game as the nickel corner, but still playing him on the outside where he's got a boundary. I think that would be ideal. Let's talk about the offensive line. Let's talk about some of the arrivals, key arrivals that we got. Let's, let's just talk about the offensive line guys really quick. Uh, BJ Finney had Mm -hmm. uh, come in on a two year, $8 million deal. Uh, Looks like he's the likely uh, takeover starter at the center position, BJ Finney. I like him too. He's a good player. Me too. Um, Brandon Shell. 
on a two-year, $11 billion deal to come in and essentially take over at right tackle uh, mm-hmm. for Jermaine Effetti. I, um, you know, talent-wise, they seem about the same minus the penalties. What do you think? Um, yes, uh, talent-wise, they are about the same. Athletically, very similar. The difference is that, um, you know, Shell's technique is a little better. His um, uh, his kick and and push on the getting outside is better. Um, what he doesn't have is as strong of a of a forward push and just that power that uh, Fetty would always flash. Um, and so he's a pass blocker more than a run blocker, but they're similar players. Uh, and just Shell can pick up a stunt uh, or a twist, which Fetty struggled with. Um, and he also doesn't have the penalties, but Shell is not a guy that is going to go out there and dominate. He's not going to be a, a, a huge difference maker. He's just, he's a guy. And um, the Seahawks can get away with a guy with Russell Wilson back there with his mobility and his ability to make things happen. Um, what they couldn't, what they couldn't have anymore is a guy who destroyed drives with all those penalties. I mean, he was a drive killer, uh, Fetty was. And so uh, I think this is an upgrade in terms of that, but it's not a huge upgrade talent-wise. So it, it still does give the uh, Seahawks the opportunity to maybe draft a tackle early oh, yeah. in the draft. Okay. Yep. Um, Cedric uh, uh, he, uh one year, $3.3 million deal. I don't know what portion of that is guaranteed. Uh, likely not much more than, say, 500000 uh, um, I think I read possi- seven hundred and fifty thousand, but it's still it's it's entirely a cuttable deal. Um, at this point, he is coming in. He as a swing tackle, a guy that can play both positions and be that third tight end in the George Fant role. Um, twenty eight years old. He is a former first round pick who just never lived up to that uh, draft pedigree. But you know there is some physical talent there and you know, some versatility. And I think he's going to fit in well. That's an incredible contract. Uh, Like think about like if he's replacing Fant, right? Fant signed a three year deal, 30 million. So 10 million a year. Uh, His replacement comes in at one year deal, 3.3 million. So they're getting Fant's replacement for one third of the price. Nice. Uh, The last guy to come in, Chance Wormack. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit. What do you, what do you see in him? Uh, what do you, how do you think he fits in? Okay. So this is a guy with tremendous talent, tremendous upside could come in and, and become a rock in on the line at guard. Um, he also could be this year's, um, Ezekiel Ansa, where he just literally never plays, um, has had tons of injuries, uh, essentially didn't play last year. He sat out most of the year. Um, he's supposed, supposedly healthy now uh, because he didn't play last year. And so he's trying to get himself back into the league. Um, yeah, this is a boomer bust type situation, I think. Yeah. Like, this is, he could bust out, not ever make it out of camp, or he could be a guy that really comes in and has a chance to compete. Yeah, this could, this could be a guy that, um, you know, really pushes for playing time and makes... Um, you know, fluke or possibly uh, expendable, and so they could save some cap room uh, on that. And because you've got, um, you know, a starter. I mean, this is a guy that is has all the talent in the world, has the ability to be very, very good. Um, 
but man, his injury history is not pretty and it's been a, it's been a struggle for him. So we'll, we'll see what, what it is. I, I, you know, this is, this is the type of pick that you're like, or not pick, but signing where you're like, there's no downside. It's either a great signing because he makes this huge impact or there's no guaranteed money. You cut him at the end of training camp and it was like it never happened. There's no downside to it. So uh, earlier before uh, preseason or not preseason uh, before free agency, we signed Greg Olson, which now looks like an amazing deal. Actually, um, if we were to sign Greg in, in regular free agency, it, it might have been a little bit more expensive. But we got him on a one year five point five million dollar guaranteed seven million overall. Greg Olson to come in. Um, Luke Wilson as well came back on the vet minimum. Jaron Reed resigned. Hollister's back. Uh, that that uh, tight end position actually looks pretty good. And combined with um, with the wide receiver group, looks great. And we added a wide receiver this week, which I thought changes the room just a little bit in Philip Dorsett. Mm-hmm. 4.33 speed from, um, from New England. He's 5'10", 185. He's probably, to me, Keith, and you may disagree, even though he's got that top-end speed and can take the top off the defense, he fits more like a slot guy in Seattle's system to me. Well, I don't think... I, I'm going to disagree with that because he is a straight-line runner. Uh, his his tape is that of a guy with straight-line speed who doesn't uh, create separation other than if he can't run away from someone. Um, and so he is a... Cut, take the top off the defense kind of guy who doesn't do much else. Uh, now, granted, he, if, if you look at his production numbers, you're like, wow, that's, you know. He took a lot of snaps out of the slot for uh, New England. True. Um, and, and they used him, um, they used him in a lot of different ways. Part of it is that he, I know he's playing with, with Tom Brady, who they've had to alter that offense multiple times as Brady's arm has degraded. Um over yeah. the years. And last year they were a very much a dink and dunk uh, yeah, totally. offense and Absolutely. nothing else. And so he yeah. was like, you know, he was this, this square well, peg in a round hole. Like, like you said, exactly what you were pointing to is I think his per catch uh, average was like 10, 10 yards, which doesn't point to a guy that takes the lid off. It points to a guy that's getting dink and dunked underneath quite a bit. And that's well, where he was at. And that's because that's all they had. I mean, they, uh, their entire offense was built around dink and dunk um, because that's what their quarterback could do. Um, I never saw Tom Brady hold the ball longer than three seconds all all year. Otherwise, oh, he, he was getting sacked. Yeah, um, he, and he doesn't. Tom Tom Brady is um, one of him and and Breeze are you know the top echelon of making knowing what where the ball is going pre snap uh, and getting the ball out of their hands super quickly uh, to the right guy and. You know, that's what he's great at. And earlier in his career, he had that arm and you saw him throwing the ball, you know, 25, 30 yards downfield and, and throwing these strikes. But, you know, that isn't there anymore. He hasn't had that for a couple of years. And so they've they've retailed the offense around his strengths, which is his brain and, it, and his ability to get the ball out quick. And that is not the type of offense that Dorsett's going to excel in. Oh, I he's, know. He's I mean, this is that, actually a really sweet situation for, for Dorsett and for the Seahawks. I mean, well, yeah, if you really think about it, like Russell goes, Wilson's the best long ball thrower in the game. Yeah. If you combine that with a guy that can actually get out there, mm-hmm. um, that may be the first time that Dorsett's had a guy that could really um, take advantage of his talents. 
Yeah, it is. And so what you have is you've got, now you've got, whereas as a defense, you have to be worried because you know that Lockett can get deep. You know that DK Metcalf can get yep. deep. Um, yep. And now you've got Dorsett, whether he lines up in the slot or on the outside, yep. um, you know he can get deep. And so as a, as a defense, your safeties are backpedaling. And back- it forces you to play too high, too, because you got to have a couple safeties with that group. Yeah, and so even though Dorsett's not going to be a guy who's going to create a lot of separation um, you know, with his routes, if the defense is bailing, trying to get back, and he just goes up and stops. It's going to open up everything else underneath, including going, the run game. Yeah, and, and so it's one of those things where he's got, he could get uh, additional production out of that. Um, and other times, like, you know, we don't lock it. I mean, the CX use him as a deep threat, but he can literally do anything you want him to do um, as a receiver. And so they can, you know, use additional parts of his route tree because they've got Dorsett who can take the top off the defense on that same side of the field. And uh, it it just makes it harder on defenses when you've got three guys that can get deep. Um, Well, the nice thing about Philip, go go ahead. I was saying, and the thing is like, we're we're saying like Dorsett's going to be you know that third guy. Uh, they, they this is a pretty nice looking wide receiver room because they were um, they were able to get back um, more more. That's who it was. I'm like wait, which was the, which one? Yeah, they were able to get more back. He was the wide receiver three for most or for large portions of last year because Brown turned out to be not worth it. Yeah. Um, they've still got Ursula, who's this like untapped potential um, and very unique athlete over there, and uh, Malik Turner, who has, yeah. the team is high on and has shown signs and and is continuing to develop. I mean, he was once a practice squad player and and is continuing to get better. So uh, you're looking at a wide receiver group that is very talented and could, you know be a strength on this team. So. And you combine that with the tight end group, which is Disley, Olsen, Hollister. And then you add Homer as a third down back, plus mm-hmm. Lockett, Metcalf, and Dorsett. Dude, this is the most talented, uh, um, like, I don't know what I, what I want to say, uh, most talented skill position, skill position group that, that Russell Wilson has ever had to work with. Uh, I think. The- the only one that I would say would be better would be 2012 when you had uh, Sidney Rice. Yeah, but Sidney Rice was injured mo- a lot. True, but going into the year, like we're talking about going into the year, we don't know if people are going to get hurt or whatever going in. Going into that year, I mean, it was his rookie year, but Sidney Rice was uh, one of the top receivers in the entire NFL. Um, you know, you had Baldwin, you had Golden Tate, you had uh, Marshawn, um you know, Zach Miller was still your tight end. And, and uh, that right there would be a group that I think would have a lot to say about your thing, saying that the, the, the 2020 is the, mo- the most skilled position group. Uh, but it really, it would be those two years. Like, well, if, combined with 2020 version of Wilson, yes. this, could, this could set it over the top. I just think it's, it's, it's going to be a fun, interesting group. Plus... I think it's likely that we add some sort of dynamic wide receiver out of the draft only because the draft is really talented at the wide receiver position. If Seahawks don't take advantage of that, I think it would be crazy, but um, I just hope they don't use a draft pick on a, 
a possession guy, a guy like um, Jennings, who they drafted last year and and never made the the never saw the field, and uh, there's just been a a parade of uh, different guys that they've drafted in the first round. What type round. of wide receiver would you want to have them look at? If you're like another Medcalf kind of guy, a guy that's six three, two twenty, that that is physical. I mean, I want a guy that can can run and create separation. I don't want a possession guy who's productive, but in, at college runs, runs but, a four six forty. Yeah, because and, and and struggles will struggle to get open. Um, right. And I want to I want a guy who's a dynamic athlete. Um, give me you know Philip Dorsett's clone uh, in the in this draft, and uh, because they've we've just had this parade of these possession receiver types that have washed out and never never it would done be anything. interesting to me if they draft hedge a, a a Tyler Lockett type guy a guy like you said that's dynamic that maybe could return kicks this year that could uh, work himself you know onto the roster and into playing time uh, as a you know third fourth wide receiver that would to me be really exciting a guy like Samuels uh, from uh, that San Francisco pick last year probably mm-hmm. not going to get a guy like that in the you know fourth fifth round but if the CX used one of their you know, top three picks to pick a wide receiver. I wouldn't be a hater, although this group right now on the roster is pretty loaded. I mean, we don't need a wide receiver. That's exactly when Schneider would pull the chain on something and draft, draft a guy early, you know, just to throw a wrench in the whole thing. Um, so, okay, so we've we've got everybody. I also want to mention Bruce Irvin. That was part of the ad list. Um, and that's kind of where we're at right now as far as uh, free agency. Um, the, the Seahawks still have, uh, draft picks. We did trade our fifth away. So now we have seven draft picks round one, 27 overall round two, 59 and 64 round three, one Oh one, which is a comp pick round four at one thirty three overall round four, one forty four overall, which is a comp and round six two fourteen overall, which is a comp. Thank goodness for those comp picks. Otherwise we'd only have four picks. Well, um, I mean, but you don't, so make, let's talk, you don't make that trade for Dunbar if you have zero comp picks. You don't go into a draft with four with four picks. Uh, having those extra comp picks gives them the ability, the flexibility, the um, you know, to go and make those trades. And so it I you know, it's I, I you can't just be like, oh, it's a good thing they've got them or they'll only only have four picks because you don't make the trade if you've only got those four. Um but one of the things that's noted as you list this, five of those six picks are in the top one fifty. Which yeah. means five of those six picks are in the range where you expect significant production and uh, contribution. Contribution. That's, that's the right word. Um, from players. I mean, it's, it's the top 150 is where you want to be. And they've got five picks in that range. That's it's pretty huge. exciting. Um, let me, I wasn't going to ask, ask you about this, but it just came up in my brain. Um, is there a, a possibility that Seattle could redo a deal on Brit or, or and create some sort of a sign and trade thing? Is there any value that Brit would bring to a team on a on a, any trade value that we could pick up, say, another fifth round pick or something to add to the pile, knowing um, that he probably won't make the roster? Maybe. I mean, I, I wouldn't say no because what they could do if, if it's one of those things where. Uh, a team is like, hey, you know, we could use a, a backup interior lineman um, or a p- potential starter. 
uh, and they're looking for their draft hedge uh, on the interior line. They they talk to Seattle and they're like, okay, um, we don't want we, him at eleven million, but we'll take him at six. And you know, could we rework a, a, a sign and trade like a Seattle rework that contract and then trade him? Well, yeah, but the 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 thing the Seahawks would have to be careful with there is what the Seahawks would be wanting in that trade is to get that eight and a half million dollar uh, of cap space off the books. Right. Yeah. And if you rework the deal and you make, and you convert some of that money to a signing bonus to get him to sign. Now you're take, you know, that's extra dead, uh, dead cap yes, space. And correct. so you're, you're getting less out of it. So, um, this, if the CX were willing, you know, were, if they had to do that uh, and get less cap room for him, then they're going to want a higher draft pick uh, in compensation. And so it becomes a difficult way to get that deal done. Uh, How about other... KJ Wright? Is there any value in KJ Wright in the league? Absolutely. There'll be value in KJ Wright. Uh, if they wanted to do that, they absolutely could. Um, I think again, <laughs> That would be such an unpopular. Oh, I know, uh, Jesus! I can't even believe I asked the movie. question. Can you I imagine? I need to be lashed right now. <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> how much people would be like just angry if they traded KJ Wright? That would be. It depends on what they got back. So if they created that space and got Yannick back or something like that, I don't think that the complaining would last very long. Yeah, I mean, it might be one of those situations where he goes to Buffalo as part of a Judon trade. Right? Um and then it would be like, you know, and then Well Judon's at Judon's at what? Uh not Jacksonville. Uh where's he at? He's in Buffalo. No. Judon's at uh the Ravens. That's where he's oh, at. Oh yeah. Baltimore. I'm yeah, wrong. Another another wrong team, team that's up there. Um but yeah, so he's uh but you know what I mean. Like if they, they traded him there, right. be like, hey, go play with um with Earl Thomas again and, um, and, and, you know, got a big time, uh, pass pressure back because that would be part of the compensation, which would keep the draft capital necessary to, to acquire him down. Um, and it would also free up the cap space necessary to sign a guy like Judon to a long-term deal. So, yeah, um, that would be interesting to me, actually. That that right there would would be the probably the only possibility I could see of uh, KJ Wright being traded. That would just, save face for the Seahawks and for KJ. Yeah, I mean, it would just be one of those things where we keep talking about, like you know, seeing him either be whatever a cap casualty. Um, nobody wants to see that. I mean, no. KJ Wright is a Seahawk. He's He's a, a beloved member of the core that won a Super Bowl, of a, you know, a guy that's just been here. He's really um, been an amazing uh, player for this team uh, in this community. No one wants to see him him go. It's just it is kind of the nature of where he is in his career and his cap number that it's a possibility. Um, but man, it, it would no matter what if the if the CX do that, it will be unpopular because he's he is really a liked player in Seattle. But you're you're right that if it was part of a trade that brought in a big name, big time pass rusher like Judon, you know, I think people would be like, okay, you know, it's just it sucks, but here we are. We got a you know we got the the guy we need back in that trade. Yeah, interesting. You know, uh, yeah. I, 
something's going to have to happen. I mean, we just can't go into the draft with a completely depleted defensive line. I don't even know if we have the numbers. You know, if you if you look at like the current roster right now, um, you know, we're Ansa's not coming back. Uh, they did tender uh, Brandon Jackson, but he doesn't give you really anything. Clowney is mm-hmm. a free agent. Um, that's that. That's it at defensive end. That's it. Yeah, so Jerron Reed's at, coming back and Puna Ford. Brian Monet, uh, Monet's coming back, but Quentin Jefferson's gone. So we've literally got like six people under contract when we should have like, and 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 half of those are you know scrub guys, right? Um, well, and I wouldn't so, go that far, but you got well, you've you know got, what I'm saying. Like you've got your, serviceable at, at defensive tackle. You've got your starters in in Reed and Ford, and you've got a a nice backup in Monet at defensive end. You've got. Very little. <laughs> and that's the problem right now. You got your speed rusher, your seven tech, uh it with Bruce Irvin. And not a lot else unless well, that's not true. You've got um the rookie from two years ago, um Green, Rashim Green, who's going who you'd pencil in at the starter at the five tech spot. Um you've got hopefully Collier uh ready to step up and be a be a uh, a contributor this year at, you know, that same spot. Um, and so you'd end up with, okay, there's, there's six guys, right? Um, that's it. That's what you have are six guys. And, uh, you should have 12 at this point. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, right, right. And, and so it would be those six guys, none of them would be allowed to get hurt and they'd have, you know, that because that would be your your defensive line going going into the season. Um, obviously, obviously, yeah, that, that's, yeah, not, going that's not going to happen. They're going <laughs> to no. get they're they're going to sign a guy like Clowney, or they'll trade for a guy like Judon, or they'll sign a guy like uh, Griffin. They will um, draft two or three guys. They'll be like probably four undrafted free agents that I agree. will fit into there. Right. Um, sure. that, that, that defensive line room will change drastically between now and the start of training camp. Uh, and hopefully they'll be able to find the pass rush that they need. So uh, same question on the running back room right now. We got Chris Carson coming off mm-hmm. of hip fracture, although he's should be ready to go. Rashad yeah, Penny coming off the ACL. He's not going to be ready. It looks likely not ready at yep. the start of training camp and possibly the start of the season. Likely yeah. not the start of the season. And Travis Homer. That's the running back room right now. So I'm a little surprised the Seahawks haven't gone out and take a look at, at least at veteran minimum guys or slightly over veteran minimum guys to come in and compete at that spot and maybe take some of those Rashad Penny snaps. What do you think about their plan going forward with that room? I think their plan at that room is they know they've got Carson, their starter, who is actually running and cutting and doing a lot of the stuff. Um, his uh, injury we thought was going to be really serious. It turned out not to be. Um, I mean, it was still a you know broken bone in his hip, but uh, it turned out to be a, a much more uh, manageable injury than than we thought. And so he's he's doing stuff now. Um, and he will be ready for you know day one of of training camp, uh, is what the whatever you know that's what the timetable is at this point. So he goes in as your starter. You've got Homer as your third down back. You've got Penny who'll come back around mid season, um, you know as as a you know a dynamic number two. Um, you're literally looking for 
the uh, an extra guy. Um, and you can get that late in the draft um, or, you know, middle of the draft. And I, I think that they're, they're like, you know, we don't need to go pay a guy. Um, we can wait and we can, we can deal with that or we can, um, you know, see if, uh, Marshawn Lynch, uh, wants to come back, wait until training camp, halfway through training camp, and then, uh, bring Marshawn Lynch back on a, uh, you know, one year deal and, and have him be, you know, that backup running back, um, who's announced as the starter, but then only gets, you know, five ten uh, touches a game type of thing. Right. Um, <clears throat> well, here's the deal. And, and I'll be just completely frank. I love Marshawn Lynch, dude, but I don't know that the team should be s- banking on their entire running game, which is really important to them. I mean, to everybody's chagrin, they, you know, that likes to see Russell Wilson pass the ball more. They want to run the ball and that, they want to have that be completely 100% airtight, I think, before that point. And to, I get the Marshawn thing, and that's fine. We can add him to that mix. But uh, to me, if you don't have a very competent, like, in-place second running back on your team, at least by the end of the draft, you're nuts. Um, and I think that there's a couple of guys out there that could at least hedge the draft so you're not reaching too much. Um, Amir Abdullah's out there, Peyton Barber, Devonta Freeman, Frank Gore. How many of those all. guys do you think are going to sign before the draft? Um, like three or four, probably. Ty Montgomery's out there. Um, you know, I I just think that I just look I, at the- I think Seattle's going to be one of those teams too. I think Seattle's going to sign a running back in the next three weeks, and it's going to be you know, it's going to be one of those guys. Because yeah. I look at this and I see Dante Freeman, Lamar Miller, um, Carlos yeah. Hyde, yeah. Uh, Theo Riddick. Um, yeah. Just a Mar- bunch of guys you've now got, at this point. Y- you've got Marshawn, you've got uh, Kenyon Barner, Ty Montgomery, Spencer Ware. Um, there are enough guys out there that you could bring someone in after the draft if you don't like the way the draft fell to you and know that you're going to be okay at running back um, while you wait for Penny to finish getting healthy because you've got your starter. You've already got your number one. You're not asked. You're not bringing in a guy hoping, Oh, this person has got to hold down the fort as the, the guy until Penny gets back. You got, this person's got to hold down the fort as a backup running back until Penny gets back. And that's why I, you know, they, they'll wait. And I, I honestly think, I mean, they may do it before the draft just because they like to go into the end of the draft with the, the their draft hedges. Um, well, you might want to, you might as well get the guy that you want. I mean, out of that list, you might as well get the guy, uh, your choice guy out of all those guys. Yeah. But at the same time, you can, if you wait, you get them for the veteran minimum instead of having to pay them one and a half. And guaranteeing um, some of their salary. Yeah. And so um, now if you can get uh, a guy like bring Spencer Ware back uh, after he, you know, because he was a a Seahawk draft pick and then went to Kansas City and and did really well and then has had injury issues and whatnot. If you can get him back on a, you know, a veteran um, minimum or a uh, what is it? the, The salary benefit rule where he counts as a second year player, even though he's getting paid more than that um, in terms of the cap. Okay, do that. Go for it. Um, you know, the same can be true for a lot of those guys that, that I listed. Um, you know, Carlos Hyde, Theo Riddick, Lamar Miller. 
Um, if you can get those guys on a veteran uh, salary benefit um, deal, then you do it. But otherwise, um, you're, you don't want to guarantee the contract of a guy that might not make the roster because you get a guy in the draft who you like better. I, it's funny, you know, I asked the question and then I regretted it immediately because I'm, I'm with you. Patience is the key here. Um, it's funny though. I see the list and I'm, I get impatient, um, (laughs) where we only got three guys basically on the roster knowing that we need five and there's two missing and I want that problem solved right now. It's, it's funny. You get into that fan mode and you just like, let's solve it. We, we need to solve it right now. It's like, no, there's still literally six months left in the off season. Okay. Uh, NFC West. I just want to talk about it just a little bit. Uh, we talked about maybe bringing that in as part of some of the things that we're going to talk about going forward. If we do the, the two podcast shows a week, um, just want to talk about it briefly and maybe uh, run through the teams and some of the moves. Isn't that our plan for Monday's show though? Is it? Is to, is to dive in really I don't know. into it? Was it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um we can talk about it briefly and just be like, okay, here's what kind of what we're seeing, but we're gonna we're gonna do a deep dive into the NFC West um uh on on Monday's show and then uh we'll give you guys kind of an update on, on what the other teams in the division are doing. Um I will tell you that Arizona has not really done anything to improve and they were bad. Oh come um, on! They, what, they I'm going to disagree with you right now. No, I I agree that they're bad, but I don't agree <laughs> that they haven't done anything. I mean, oh, let's let's just take Arizona. Let's let's leave everyone else out. Let's just talk about Arizona really quick. The trade for De- DeAndre Hopkins, dude, was off the charts. I love that trade for them. They give Tyler Mur- uh, Murray like a legit weapon to pair with um, Fitzgerald, and I and I think that's great. Um, they got Jordan Phillips, a guy that we talked about. The Seahawks would be a good fit at defensive tackle. Jordan Phillips is a decent situation for them at defensive tackle. Um, and then Devon Kennard at, at outside linebacker, I thought as an upgrade for them and they really didn't lose a lot, you know? So to me, I thought that they improved. Plus they got a ton of draft picks this year. To me, Arizona is one of those teams to watch as far as up, uh, rising up in the uh, the NFC West and overtakes the Los Angeles Rams as the as uh, no longer being the worst team in the division. That's I where can, I'm at with Arizona. I'll give you I'll give you that with, with as far as the Rams. Um, I mean, I actually I, I did love the um, the Hopkins trade, and I'll, I'll give you that. Um, well, that was and, a steal. And, and getting you know arguably the best receiver in the NFL uh, at this moment is, you know, anytime you can do that, you're, you're going to improve. Um, I just, I look at the roster as a whole, even with the guys that they added. Um, And I just, I mean, I just don't see a competitive team still. No, Uh, I mean, you know, but they're at least an eight win team or seven win team this year. I mean, they've gone, they've improved from, I think four wins to, to seven or eight. Yeah, it just just not just with who they've traded for or acquired, um, but they've got a they've really got a great positioning situation in the draft. They're going to add some some weapons. They'll probably get three or four key contributors out of that situation. They're going to be young, but nonetheless, um, I just think it's a team on the rise for sure. Yeah, I mean, okay. Um, I just still this was a team that depended on. Cassius Marsh to be a pass rusher last year and they haven't 
I mean, he, one, he's not good. And two, um, he left and now they've got even less at a very key position. So um, I look at it and I'm like, they have so much work to do for them to get be competitive uh, in the division. I mean, they're they are more than a year away still, or maybe they are. A year I away. agree because they're going to they're the they are positioned well in the draft, so they're going to get a bunch of young talent. They're going to spend this year to, um, grooming that young talent, and next year they'll be in a position where a couple of key signings, another good draft, and they'll be ready to compete. But um, I so agree, a year away still. Uh, just they're not a good team. I yet. just I just uh, uh, okay. I just think that they're in an outside position to to climb up to nine wins possibly if they have just a stellar uh, mm-hmm. draft and, and um, everything comes together for them and Kyler Murray kind of takes a step. Um, this could be a nine win team. And the way that the, um, the playoff scenario uh, is, is rolling out with an extra uh, team That's this true. year, yep. the, the NFC West could put forth three teams yeah, in the playoffs now, this year. To, now to you've me. got you got a, you, the division winners. Uh, the three division winners will get in, and three wild card teams. So it's it's and the it's NFC West is the best division in football. Yeah, one one of one of. I mean, it's one of two. But I would, um, I, the, it is a good division. It's got uh, some good teams in it. One of which is not the Rams. Um, and I could see a an interesting thing coming up, especially with the with the expanded playoffs where where Arizona would sneak in. Um, I do, like I said, I still think they're a year away from being I truly do too. competitive. Yeah. Um, which makes which to me makes them less interesting. I'm a, the more interesting team to me is the Rams because they are. Well, they've had an awful off season too. They're they've. They've just jettisoned talent like crazy. They've lost um, Todd Gurley, Michael Brockers, Corey Littleton, Dante Fowler, and Nickel Roby Coleman in free agency and retained Andrew Whitworth. That's essentially their offseason. I mean, they got Sean Robinson, a defensive tackle. I'll give him that. He's one-dimensional, but they got him. And Leonard, mention, Leonard Floyd, mention, an outside linebacker. That's it. Did you mention Gurley? Yeah. They, they, they're... they're 25 year old franchise running back that they gave all that money to. Oh, I know. It's crazy. Cut. Um, yeah. So yeah, anyways, but they still have, they still have the worst quarterback in the division and they, and he's got the largest cap hit this year. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Um, so let's, uh, yeah, let's, um, oh. let's talk about this further on Monday and yeah, we'll leave it there. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, there's kind of kind of where we're looking. I mean, we'll like I said, we'll do a deep dive into this rather than this kind of surface overview that we've uh, done here for the last three and a half minutes. But um, yeah, um, come back, listen. Then, uh, like Bill said earlier, we're going to uh, two shows a week for the next uh, few weeks, just trying to help everyone have something else to listen to while you're stuck at home uh, during the quarantine and everything. Please stay safe, stay indoors. Um, you know, just do what you got to do to keep yourself and your family healthy. Bingo. So, uh, until next time, follow Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at North, uh, excuse me, um, Hawks Playbook. The website is seahawksplaybook.com and the show can be had on any podcast app out there. We're kind of all over the place right now, uh, which is good. We've kind of expanded uh, recently 
our uh, our um, our reach out there. Uh, make sure you subscribe, though. We've changed some of the back end stuff, so we want to make sure your subscriptions are current out there. So if you're still listening, um, check those. Make sure you're getting the show every week. Um, if you're subscribed but not somehow getting the show every week, go in there on your favorite podcast app and make sure that you're uh, currently subscribed. You should be. I think we've worked it out where you should be completely subscribed um, still if you have the old feed, but we also have a new feed as well. Yep. Um, so did I say that right, Keith? <laughs> yes, all of that's right. Um, I will say if you um, are listening to this and you're questioning, like, what are we talking about different feeds? Um, do a search for Seahawks Playbook. If you're on the old Hawks Playbook feed, you should still be getting the shows, but we have rebranded a little bit. We're now uh, the Seahawks Playbook. Um, so you can might, might switch your subscription up from the old feed to the new one. Um, but even if you don't, you should still be getting all of our shows because we've made that happen. Bingo. All right. So uh, let's get out of here. And uh, we're going to come back next uh, early next week and put out another show. So look for that. And uh, until next time, Keith, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Bill is at NWCHawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week. And go Hawks.